Hey, it's Thomas Frank. I've just got a quick note for you before we get into the show. If you've been enjoying the Inforium or my videos over on YouTube, then you, my friend, should get Nebula. On Nebula, you get ad-free versions of both this podcast and my videos, along with exclusive stuff like extended versions of those videos. And it's not just our stuff that you're going to get. Dozens of other creators are on Nebula, including Ali Abdal, Wendover Productions, Braincraft, Tier Zoo, and lots more. Nebula gives us a chance to experiment, and since everything's ad-free, it's also the best way for you to get our content. Head over to theinforium.com slash nebula to sign up now. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the College Info Geek Podcast. My name is Thomas Frank, and this is the show that helps you become a more effective student. And on this episode, we're going to be talking about how to find a part-time job on campus, what your options are, and how to balance that part-time job with your already busy schedule. So if you're the kind of person who wants to put a little bit of extra money in your pocket during the semester or maybe during the summer, this episode is for you. And I've been asked about it several different times by a lot of people who are emailing me or sending me tweets or just people who have asked me when I was a student, how I found my jobs. So we're going to dig into this topic and hopefully arm you with the knowledge that you need to find your own part-time job when you go back to school in the fall. So before we get into that, though, I just want to give you guys a quick apology because there was no episode last week and maybe you were cursing my name for that. Uh, The reason was because one, I was going out of town uh, for a 4th of July thing, uh, girlfriend's family reunion in Wisconsin. That was a lot of fun, but we actually left on Friday, so I lost a day of work. And the other problem, the main one, is that for whatever reason, when I updated all my Adobe apps, um, some third-party transition I had that makes the videos look better had some sort of incompatibility with it, and it was causing me to not be able to export my video. So I was working on it before we left, and I could not get the video video out. And as a result, there was no time to record a podcast. So apologies. I'm going to work really hard to get an episode out every single week. Been pretty good about it so far. And uh, just to give you guys a bit of an update on what's going on with the podcast, we've been kind of uh, on the back burner with, you know, being really, really good on scheduling the podcast episodes. And uh, the reason for that is I've been really focusing on the videos. But going forward, we've got some great episodes planned. I've got one that I need to keep under wraps right now, but I'm really excited to um, to, to get it out to you guys. Like seriously, super excited. And that's coming pretty soon. Uh, we've got a new interview coming out next week. And also we've got an interview coming out pretty soon on how to buy a used car. So I guess I'll buy a car in general. If you want to go new, you can. But uh, that's pretty relevant because I actually just bought a used or new to me car uh, just last week. And I was doing tons of research. I got really into the whole thing and I've been uh, really happy with what I ended up getting. And I know that this is a question that a lot of students will end up having to answer for themselves. So I've got a couple of guests who know way, way, way more than I do about cars. And uh, I'll have them on the show pretty soon. We'll talk about everything that you should consider and uh, basically how to get get a good deal. So that's what's coming up in the future. But for this episode, we're talking about part-time jobs, that thing that lets you actually line your pockets with the cash that you can use to buy a car or maybe pay off your debt or maybe just have enough money to go out on the weekends with your friends instead of having to stay in the dorm and eat the styrofoam cups from the ramen noodles you already ate last week, right? So yeah, so this is episode 67. If you want to find the show notes for this episode, which will contain links to anything I mention, as well as a summary and instructions on how to review the podcast on iTunes, if you want to support it, you'll find all that at CIGpodcast.com. I uh, just scroll down to the 67 link and you'll find all that good stuff. And that's all we got for the intro. So let's dive in by just 
kind of going over my own track record of part-time jobs. So actually, I wrote a big note in Evernote about all the stuff that I've done since I was a teenager. And uh, to establish some credibility here, um, since I started working at 14 years old, and I'm not going to count mowing lawns and picking up dog droppings as a 13-year-old, I got my first legitimate gainful employment at 14 years old, detasseling corn in Iowa cornfields. Now, if you're not from Iowa, you probably don't know what detasseling corn is. Uh, Basically, a corn plant has a tassel at the top, which is filled with the the pollen, I guess you could call it. I'm not sure what the actual term is, but it's what pollinates corn plants. It's how they reproduce. And the way that the big, you know, ag companies plant corn these days is they have four rows of what they call female corn and one row of male corn. And you want to cross pollinate these two varieties of corn to get the optimal product. So the male corn needs to cross pollinate uh, the female corn. Uh, But to do that, you need to make sure the female corn doesn't have the tassels anymore. uh, So they basically can't pollinate themselves. So first they but uh, get a bunch of machines. They go through the cornfields. They pull it all off. But then they send teenagers in there to make sure that everything is picked. So that's basically an overly complicated way of saying that I was paid eight dollars an hour to trudge through cornfields that were super muddy, often in the rain, always in the heat, and got paid for it as a fourteen-year-old kid. Uh, absolutely loved the job. As hard as it sounds, and as awful as it sounds, I had a lot of fun because you're just out in the cornfields with friends and. You get paid good money and it's only a three week job. So I got fond memories of it, even though if I had to go do it again, I'd probably be a little bit uh, hesitant to jump back in. But that was my first part time job experience. And since then, according to my memory here, I have worked for 11 different companies. And if you count upgrades and uh, I guess new positions I've taken on in those companies, I've had a total of 15 different positions that were part-time jobs. Now, this is in addition to one full-time internship I did over a summer and three different freelance slash casual positions that I don't really consider employment and my own company, which is College Info Geek. So in short, I have a lot of work experience and I have a lot of experience finding and getting part-time jobs. So hopefully I can help you do the same thing. So uh, I basically have a list of common questions here that a lot of students will ask when it comes to part-time jobs. And uh, the first one is simply, how do I get a part-time job, right? So you want to know, like, how do you actually find a part-time job? How do you get it? How do you uh, do well in the interview? That kind of thing. So let's jump right into this question. So the first thing that you're going to want to do is look at your options for simply finding jobs. And uh, at my school, the best way to do this was the campus job board. So my school, Iowa State University, had this system online called Access Plus. Basically, every student had a login, and this is where you would find your transcripts. This is where you would sign up for campus housing, where you sign up for your classes, um, where you would order your graduation stuff at the end of your college career. All like the essential stuff that is uh, bound up around your student life was on Access Plus. But another thing they had there was a job board. So if any department on campus or often a lot of companies that just wanted to hire students in the Ames area, uh, they could put a listing up on this job board and then you could apply. And it was really cool because they had it all sorted by types of jobs. So you could look for jobs in food service or you could look for jobs in like, you know, maintenance or tutoring or in my case, uh, information technology. So that is the best 
place to look. And if your campus does not have an online job board, it may have a binder full of job openings that are just simply printed out. I know this because when I was in high school, um, I was in the process of building my freelance web development company and I needed to find my first client. And now I had no idea how to go about getting a web development client because my only experience finding clients in the past was for lawn mowing. And lawn mowing is a little bit easier to just simply go up to somebody's door and knock and say, hey, I'm a kid with a mower and I want to mow your lawn. Usually if you're going door to door asking people if they want to have their own website built, you know, you're probably not going to get too many people taking you up on that. So um, I know I printed out some flyers. I put them on bulletin boards at like Panera Bread and Hy-Vee, uh, the grocery store. They had bulletin boards for the community to use. But another thing I tried was going to the community college and just seeing on a whim if anybody had put a job posting for somebody who could build them a website. So uh, DMAC is the community college where I grew up. And interestingly enough, I was able to take classes there for half the day when I was a senior in high school. My high school had an amazing program where you could basically take a little curriculum of uh, business classes that would count for both high school credit and college credit. So I got a lot of my business college uh, classes done in high school, which was super cool, but it also familiarized me with the campus. So I went into the main office of the school and said, hey, guys, do you have any sort of like job boards for students who are looking for freelance work or maybe part time work? And they said, yes, we do. It's not online, but it is in these binders. So I found myself sitting in this little cubicle in the back of their office for about an hour, just flipping through all these postings. And they had like three different binders with all sorts of really old ones that were no longer relevant, but also some new ones. And I ended up finding this uh, like medical temp staffing company. I think they were a company that found found temp workers for uh, companies in the medical field. And they said, hey, we need a website built. And if you're a student that knows how to build one, contact us. So I ended up calling them up and said, hey, I'm a high school student. I know how to build websites. I have never built one commercially before. I've only built my own. Um, but I would love for you guys to hire me and we would be able to quote you guys a pretty low price since it's our first job and we'd love to just work with you and make it as good as we can possibly make it. So they uh, either foolishly or wisely, I don't really know at this point, (laughs) they accepted my offer and hired us. So that's why I know that you can find paper binders. But that was a cool experience in and of itself because I got a lot of experience going into meetings with people who run their own companies, like these bigger companies. And uh, I got a lot of experience building a website as well. So that was a cool experience. But yeah, campus job boards. Also, simply ask around campus departments where you see other students working. So if you see somebody who's working at one of the food places on campus or you see a student who's running an information desk or maybe running a front desk at one of the departments that you go into, uh, ask them, how'd you get the job here? You know, and if they said, Hey, I just had to apply. Well, you can do the same thing. And the cool thing is, you know, a lot of students who are working in campus departments, they're going to leave eventually. If they're seniors, they might be graduating or they may eventually just have to leave that job because their, uh, their school demands get too, too much to handle. So keep it in mind. If there's a certain department on campus that you want to work in, then maybe make friends or acquaintances with the people who work there, with the full-time staff that runs it, any faculty members that help run the department, and express interest in working there. Even if you don't get the job right away, if you're a freshman, say, you've got four years on that campus, and it might end up that you get to work there as a junior or something, you know, and it could be pretty good pay. So keep that in mind. As always, building relationships is really useful. So yeah, do that. 
Also, you can apply for jobs outside of campus. Now, there's one thing to mention here. Jobs that are on campus, I find, are a little bit more flexible with working around your schedule as a student. This is obvious because the people who run these departments are very familiar with students. They work on a college campus. They know what the schedules are like. They know what test schedules are like. So if you're going to look for a job that's off campus, maybe just working for a regular company or something, like if you're going to go get a job at Target, it's you know possible that you're going to run into some scheduling conflicts. It's not always unworkable, but for that reason, I usually tell people that if you know all things equal, a job on campus is going to be more desirable than one off campus simply because of the flexibility. Also because, especially if you live on campus, it's going to be way easier to get to work from a class or when you wake up in the morning if you work really early. So check that out. Also, oh, I, so that's, I guess, my warning. But you can, as in any job, you can look on job boards like Indeed.com, Monster.com, um, or you can simply go to a company and say, hey, I'd like an application. Um, most grocery stores, Target, Walmart, all those kind of places, pretty easy to apply. And that's, you know, the process you go through for any job is going to be pretty similar. So, yeah, do that. And also uh, Craigslist. So a lot of people will post jobs on Craigslist. You may be able to find freelance opportunities. You may be able to find things like babysitting opportunities or just actual jobs that, you know, companies are looking on Craigslist to hire for. And uh, the one thing I'll say about Craigslist is you do need to be vigilant about scams. Um, and there's a story behind this. So when I was a senior, I guess after my senior year of high school, uh, I was not yet 18. My birthday is June 4th. So I graduated high school still at 17. And this made it really tough for me to get a summer job because I was simultaneously under 18. So not eligible to work at a lot of positions that needed 18 year olds or uh, older to be there. But also I was going to college in the fall. So I was basically like this 17 year old kid who was like, hey, I can work for you for like two and a half months, but then I'm going to peace out. So will you hire me? And uh, what did you know? It Most people didn't hire me. So I took to Craigslist looking for work and I saw this position and it said like office office work, you know, like in front of office work, $12 an hour, gainful employment, whatever. And uh, come to this place for a meeting on this day. So I show up thinking I'm shooing for this job. I'm obviously going to get hired. And it uh, turns out there were a bunch of people there and it was not for an office job. It was for a, a commission only vacuum sales position. And the dude tried to hype it up so much. But yeah, he's basically like, you're going to be going door to door trying to sell vacuums. And hey, if you sell a bunch of vacuums, then we'll take you on a cruise to the Caribbean or something, right? Like the best salespeople get all these cool bonuses. Um, <laughs> I, I walked out. You know, uh, I didn't yell at them or anything, but, you know, I've heard of people who actually walk out and say, like, this is a scam. You guys should all leave. I didn't do that, but I I stood up and walked out. So be careful about the stuff like that. But, you know, even though it's got some sketchy parts, Craigslist is uh, the one place on the Internet where a lot of people in local communities can go to post things that are going to be visible to a lot of other people. So it might be your best bet for the online option. Now, you can also look at community bulletin boards. Like I said before, the place where I was putting up my advertisements for web development, some companies will also put up advertisements for part-time work they need, especially if it's a temp position. I know like companies like GameStop will often hire students and uh, other people just for like Christmas shifts because they have a lot of extra customers coming in. So you can look around the community and just see what you can find. 
So those are just some ideas for how you can find a part-time job. Now let's talk about how to uh, figure out what type of job that you want to actually work. So I've had this idea in my head for several years that there's a hierarchy of job desirability in college. And the top best job that you can get is a job that's going to give you experience that's relevant to your major. Uh, example of this was my major is MIS, Management Information Systems. It's very computer-based. It's information technology. And the job that I first got in college was working at the tech support department. And it was basically my job to answer the phone or work with somebody in person to fix their computer. And I learned how to remove viruses. I learned how to reconnect internet issues, fix Outlook, and uh, also become severely depressed and hate my life a little bit. <laughs> Only sort of kidding. But it was uh, it was a great experience. And like I said in the uh, previous episode, not the not the immediately previous one, but the one we did on um, networking recently, that experience helped me to be able to to talk about the industry with the mentor that I got at Principal Financial. So uh, tier one of job desirability is something that's going to give you some sort of close to industry experience in uh, terms of what your major is. Right. So if you can bolster what you're learning in the classroom with some real world experience, then when you go looking for internships or full time jobs, you're stepping up with a lot more to offer than the student who just sat in class and learned things. Right. So that's why it's tier one. Tier two, though, is any job that helps build the other skills that are going to help you get hired. So something that's going to help you with communication or something that's going to help you become way better organization, something like project management or something where um you know, you have to do a lot of on your feet thinking and uh, something that you could use as experience to talk about your skills in an interview. Um, one job I did was working the front desk at the business career office at my school. So basically, I was the person who would schedule students to have meetings with their career advisors and uh, I would I would deal with uh, lots of calls and I also helped set up the career fair as well. And I had all this experience working in this area. It wasn't exactly the IT area that I was majoring in, but I gained some communication experience. I learned a lot about how to email people professionally, and I was networking essentially with the career advisors every single day. And I think a lot of their knowledge was rubbed off on me. So something like that, something that's going to give you an extra, you know, soft skill in addition to what you're learning about your major is again, going to bolster your ability to get jobs. It's going to make you a better candidate. And then we come to the third tier. Now, there's four tiers in my in my head. And the third tier is uh, the warm body jobs. Now, this is the complete opposite of tiers one and two. These kind of jobs don't give you anything in terms of experience. They uh, they pay you and that's it. But the cool thing about them is that you don't really have to do much. So basically, I'm talking about jobs where you have downtime and downtime equals time for you to work on homework or study or learn an extra skill outside of class that's going to help you out, but also you're going to get paid while you do it. So um, going back to my tech support job, there was actually a lot of time during it when it was just downtime and there wasn't a whole lot to do. So I used that time to either do homework or study or read through my A-plus certification book. And A-plus certification is basically an IT certification that a lot of computer repair technicians get. And uh, at the time, I really wanted to have that certification. So I was reading through it during the job downtime and getting paid for it, which was awesome. 
So if you can get a job like that, and IT isn't the only one. Um, I know that people who work at the campus gym, a lot of times when they aren't helping students swipe their cards and get into the gym, there's not a whole lot to do. So, you know, it doesn't have to be a job that's only downtime. You don't have to look look for something where you're literally just sitting there doing nothing. There's only one job that I know of uh, where you do that, and that's a server monitor. But if you're not a server monitor or, I guess, a computer lab monitor, those are the two, like, most do-nothing jobs I've ever seen. But also, like, just working at the library or something where maybe you have to shelve books every once in a while or uh, help people check out books. But a uh, majority of the time, you're probably just sitting there and you can do your homework. Those kind of jobs are awesome. You're getting paid to do your classwork. There's really kind of a win-win there, right? And then the fourth tier is just whatever other kind of job you can get. So if it's working in fast food or if it's doing maintenance work, groundskeeping work, anything like that, um, work that doesn't really bolster your resume in any real way, but that does pay, right? If you need money and if you, you know, if you want to get some sort of work experience, then any kind of job is going to be beneficial in those areas. They're just not necessarily as good as the other jobs up the hierarchy. So here's some job ideas, and I'm not sure which one of these uh, or any of these jobs where they fit in terms of the hierarchy, but I just want to kind of give them to you to sort of start, you know, making the wheels turn in your brain. So for one, there is those major area jobs we talked to, talked about, but number two is research opportunities. Yeah opportunities. That's not a word. Research opportunities. There we go. And here I am talking about my ability to communicate. Research opportunities are cool because a lot of times professors in the very classes that you'll be sitting in will present them to the class and then you can talk to the professor about potentially getting that research opportunity. Sometimes they're unpaid, which is a, you know a shame, but you do get the networking with the professor and you do get the experience, but sometimes they are paid which is great when it's like a really monotonous research opportunity and some of them are, but you know, research is cool because it is sometimes a form of industry experience, but you're also making a stronger connection with a professor who might be able to write you a letter of recommendation in the future to a grad school or to a, a scholarship you're applying for or something like that. And sometimes they pay. And another idea is becoming an RA, which I did, and I can highly recommend it. So being an RA is a resident assistant, if you're not sure. You're basically the person who is, I guess I won't sugarcoat it, you're the babysitter of a certain area in a dorm. And um, basically, it's your job to make sure that everything runs smoothly there. Uh, you have a team of the RAs that help run the whole building. So you'll be working with them a lot. And there's also a hall director who's basically your boss and you help with programming for the dorms. You help, uh, you do rounds at night to make sure that nobody's getting into trouble. Um, anything that your residents need you to help them with, you will help with. Now I did this and, um, it worked really well for me because my hall happened to be a hall of honor students. It was a residential learning community for people in the honors program. And this meant that these were hyper-involved, really smart students who almost never got into trouble. <laughs> so they made, really made, they made my job really easy. Um, some RAs don't get so lucky, and they get halls with people who do cause them some trouble. Um, you know, it, it, it happens. You know, you can never be sure where you're going to get assigned. But I can say that it's a really good experience. You do get paid pretty well because you get free room and board and also a stipend. And you also get a lot of uh, time to do your own stuff. You know, I mean, when you're doing rounds or when you're on duty, as they call it, 
you're basically in the dorm for a night. You can't really leave for too long, but you don't have to do a whole ton of work. Maybe you do um, your rounds take you like 10 or 20 minutes and you do that three times on the weekends, two times on the weekdays. And other than that, you're just in your room doing your homework and getting paid for it, right? So check that out. Also being a tour guide on your campus can be a really fun job. It lets you see your campus, get to know it really well, get to know the people who work in the departments that bring new students in and pays pretty well too. Also tutoring. Now I did tutoring as a high school student. I tutored at that community college I talked about before and uh, that can pay pretty well. And also you're just helping people learn the material that um, you might already know pretty well. So if you want to help teach people, that can be a great opportunity. And I usually found the tutoring jobs on uh, the student job board. So that's where you'd want to look for those. Uh, or you could just go to the tutoring department and let them know that you're interested in becoming a tutor. And also babysitting. So this is obviously the you know the, the off-campus version of being an RA, I guess. But yeah, if you can find babysitting opportunities... I think I've heard of a site called care.com. I think sometimes families will put up opportunities there. Craigslist would be one. Um, obviously, be on your guard with that. Or maybe just uh, if you have like a, you know, some sort of group that you're a part of or a church you're a part of, then just keep your ear to the ground and see if somebody needs someone to watch their kids. That can pay really well. Uh, it could be another one of those jobs where you have a lot of opportunities to work on your homework while you're technically working. And uh, it's a good experience. So those are just some ideas. Obviously, there's a lot more. I can link to some articles in the show notes to that uh, have more ideas for job positions if you're not sure. Uh, but one question I know a lot of students often have is uh, I'm not qualified for anything other than like the typical teenager jobs. Now, this is exactly what I thought as a recently graduated high school student going into college. I was like, I don't have any skills. I don't have a major. I don't have anything. So why would anybody hire me for anything cool? I'm obviously going to be relegated to flipping burgers or doing something lame, right? So uh, my original plan was to apply to be a bus driver. And uh, I don't really know how that would have went because I think you need some sort of commercial driver's license. But that was my plan until a friend of mine mentioned that the tech support department on campus hires students and they train people. So I said, hey, what the heck? You know, I develop websites. I don't really know how to fix computers, but I can make a website. So I know things about computers and I applied and I got the job. And the cool thing that that revealed to me is that a lot of companies um, that higher students, especially on-campus departments, aren't necessarily looking for a concrete skill set. Yes, they want you to be skilled in the area that you're going to be working in, but they don't necessarily need you to be 100% skilled there right when they hire you. What they want is somebody who's going to be eager to learn, has the ability to learn quickly, and will work hard because they'll train you. And in the case of the tech support department, we had a big database that had step-by-step uh, -step procedures for almost every question that somebody would call in and ask. Like 95% of all the questions are in there. And uh, if it wasn't in there, then that's when we'd need to pull out the Google Kung Fu and think on our toes a bit more. But even then there was support to be had. There were uh, student managers who knew a lot about these problems who could help you if you got stuck. So if there's a job that you want, if there's a job that you know is on campus and you're not quite sure if you're skilled enough for it, I would say go for it anyway. Another really good story that illustrates this was when I got hired at, at the, the uh, campus web development department. Now, this was pretty cool 
because I didn't even know there was a campus web development department until I was doing a project for a class where I needed to make a website. And I think I ended up having to go there because I needed to get some server space on the campus servers. And when I met the manager of the web development department, he kind of saw that I was building a website and he said, hey, we hire students. Um, We need to hire some more students. Would you like a job? And he told me the requirements of the job, one of which was knowing how to program with PHP, which is a web scripting language. And I had no idea how to program in this language. So I basically thought that I was disqualified and there was no way I was going to get the job. But he said, hey, we have an online test. Go home and over the next week, try to teach yourself as much as possible. Do as best you can on this test and then we'll have you come in for an interview. So I went home. I found the PHP documentation on the internet. I found some tutorials, tried to learn as best as I could with my limited knowledge and slogged my way through the test. I think I got less than half the questions correct, but I did figure out some of them. And then when I came into the test, he had me do a couple of live coding examples, which I completely botched. But uh, apparently the effort that I put in and the amount that I learned over the week impressed him enough that he did hire me. So there's another example of getting... Uh, hired for a job where I really didn't have the skills that they were looking for uh, as, you know, in an employee because they were willing to train me. So look for jobs that maybe are a little bit above your current knowledge and try to communicate the fact that you're a hard worker, that you're willing to learn and you just might get hired. So uh, another question that is really common is what the heck is work study? So you might get your aid letter back after you do your FAFSA and you realize that, hey, I can get this much money in loans, I can get this much in a grant, but there's another work-study allotment. So work-study essentially is a program where you're getting aid from the federal government, but you have to work for it. And all you need to know is that from your perspective, all work-study does is it makes it easier for you to get an on-campus job because the way it works in uh, in a non-work-study situation, is that if you get a job on campus, then the department that hires you pays your hourly wages from their budget. If you go get a job with the campus tech support department, um, they're going to be paying you from their budget. Now, if you have work-study eligibility, then that means the federal government gives a certain work-study fund allotment to your college. And if you are hired by the tech support department, then the college work-study fund will pay for a portion of your wages and as a result, the tech support department doesn't have to use as much as their budget of their budget to pay you. What this means is that you, as a work-study eligible candidate, are more attractive to hire than somebody who isn't because you're going to cost less. Now, for some colleges, I've heard that they will actually help you get a work-study job. They might even assign you one. At my college, that wasn't the case. Um, having work-study eligibility didn't magically get me a job or some any money at all. It basically meant that I could go get a job, and if I got one, then part of my wages would be paid through through uh, that that fund. So that wasn't uh, there was no assistance in getting the job, but I think that may have influenced my ability to get my first job. Um, now, after my first couple of years of college, I no longer had work study eligibility, and I think my work study eligibility was pretty small to begin with, so it wasn't as big of a factor going forward, but. If you have that eligibility, then it does help you get a job. And you can talk to the people on your campus in the financial aid department about your options. Maybe your school does help people find jobs. 
if they have work study eligibility, maybe they will assign you one, or maybe they'll just have uh, contacts that you can use to help uh, speed up your job search process. So that's just some overall information about how to get jobs in college. Now, the next part of this episode deals with the time management aspect. A lot of students wonder how the heck they can actually balance part-time jobs with their schedule, which is already busy, filled with classes and homework and studying and uh, showing up for your cult meetings and whatever it is you kids do these days. <laughs> but anyway, I want to give you some quick tips on how to actually balance that. Now, if you can find a job that lets you set your own hours, then you have hit upon the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, my friend. And that is exactly what happened to me when I was working in the tech support department. Basically, every single week, they would open up this calendar full of hour slots. Every student had a minimum of 12 hours they had to work per week and a maximum of 20, which is the max for any on-campus job where I went to school. So I would know exactly when that calendar was going to open, and I would be on my computer the moment refreshing the page every second that I could to be sure I was the first there because I wanted the specific hours that would work best with my schedule. Um, for the most part, that meant I was taking the 7 a.m. shift right when it opened up until I went to class in the morning, and then I was taking the 9 p.m. to midnight shift. I think they call it clopening when you close and open at the same time. Uh, usually people that have to clopen, they don't like it at all, but I was actually super stoked to have those kind of shifts because I was 18 and didn't really need sleep apparently. Um, as I got a little bit older, those kind of shifts started to drag on and I didn't like them. So I eventually started do, doing only early morning shifts. But if you can get a job that lets you do something like that, then you're golden. And uh, if you find one, definitely take it. It's awesome. Um, but if you can't, then what you can do is try your best to schedule your work at a time of the day when you're not like 100% on. So for me, this meant uh, I wanted to be at work really early in the morning and then I wanted to go straight to my classes when I was the most awake. And then as early in the afternoon as I could, I wanted to be done because for me, uh, for one, I don't really like being at obligations later in the evening. Like I hated being at class till five or six. And also during the afternoon, it's just, it's just a less energetic time for me. So I wanted to get all my work done in the morning when I was uh, as energetic and as focused as possible. So for example, when I worked in the web development department, I would get there at 7am would be the only person in the building until 830 about, and then I would leave around 10, go do all my classes and then be done for the day, which was great. Now you can't always do this, but if you can, uh, definitely look at your schedule, kind of compare that to the times of the day when you are most active and build your schedule around that. And we've also talked about the importance of uh, grouping low intensity tasks in your schedule. This is especially important when you have a part-time job because it compresses the amount of free time you have even more. So be really vigilant about planning your week on Sundays or whichever day you pick, know exactly what you need to do, and then um, build little blocks of time when you're going to take care of all the little things that don't take a whole lot of willpower and maybe try to strategically place those in between classes. If you have a gap of half an hour, an hour or so, or in between when you work and go to class, that way you do still have those times of uninterrupted focused study time for your high intensity tasks. So time management is uh, it's an art that takes a while to get good at. 
But uh, one other thing I would suggest doing is exactly what I did as a student. I got right on Google Calendar. I made color-coded calendars. Each calendar represented a part of my life. So I had one for work. I had one for classes. I had one for um, uh, clubs and stuff. And then I had one for tests and studying. And I would be able to turn things off and on to see when uh, all the classes were happening, all the work was happening. And it helped me stay incredibly organized during my freshman year. And I think it made the transition from high school to college that much easier. So that's what I've got for time management. We'll talk more about it in future videos and future podcasts, but hopefully this helps in the context of part-time jobs. So uh, one last thing that I want to talk about with time management is this idea that your classes should be your job. Like my mom says that my classes are my job and I can't get a part-time job because that would be taking up the time that I need to study. And then you have the people saying that for every one hour you spend in class, you should be spending uh, two hours studying. So if you've got 20 credit hours, then that's 60 hours a week. Well, that is a job if you really follow that recipe. But um, for the most part, I don't think you have to. For one, we talked about the hierarchy earlier. A job can actually bolster your resume. It can um, complement your classwork and it can be overall beneficial. So I think that in terms of everything that's not uh, revolving around the money that you make from it, it's still a net benefit unless the job is completely worthless or something. Um, But on the other hand, you also get paid. So you have to weigh the factors of how much debt am I going to if I don't get a part-time job. Like personally, I actually did the math as a freshman and realized that the amount of hours I was working would have actually paid for an apartment and uh, probably a meager grocery budget as well. So I wouldn't have had to take $7,000 in student loans every single year if I had just used what I was making for my part-time jobs to pay for an apartment. Do I regret taking those loans? Uh, probably not because I did get the debt paid off and I was able to use the money to buy computer systems and stuff to help me learn and become a better student. But it is something that I thought about and it's something you can think about as well. Um, so I would just say, you know, as long as your academic program isn't too intense, you can probably fit a part-time job into that schedule, especially if you're vigilant about finding a part-time job in that one through three levels of the hierarchy, right? You know, if you're finding something that's going to make you drive half an hour off campus and work till 1 a.m., then yeah, maybe that's not worth it. But if you look really hard and you are able to sell yourself well, you might be able to find something on campus that's just really perfect with your schedule. So even if you've got authority figures in your life telling you that your classes are your job um, and that you just don't even need to look at part-time jobs for now, don't let that deter you from simply looking. It doesn't obligate you to take a job if you find something that you don't like, but if you look, then you might find something that works perfectly. So that's my thoughts on that. Now, the last topic I want to talk about uh, really briefly here, we could probably do a whole episode on this, but is uh, how do I do freelance stuff? So like I said before, I had 11 jobs with 11 different companies, but also three freelance slash casual positions. Now, two of those are current. Um, I'm the host of Listen Money Matters, which doesn't actually pay me, but I consider it a freelance slash casual position. Uh, I do script writing for a channel called How to Adult on YouTube. And, um, you know, that was going to be a one-off thing, but it seems like I end up have, I think I've done four of them now. So I guess I could call that some sort of freelance part-time gig. Uh, But in college, the big one that I did was web development. I ended up building websites for probably at least 10 clients. And as I got better, I was able to charge more. And uh, if I remember correctly, 
the last one that I did, I charged $2,500 for, which as a college student, that was an amazing amount of money to make. So freelance can be a pretty good opportunity. But the thing about freelance work is you have to have a skill that is desired. And uh, if you want to get paid really well, it has to be some sort of um, rare skill. I guess not exactly rare, but, you know, not super unskilled work. Web development takes some knowledge and takes some uh, some years or at least months of practice to do. And uh, if you want to be able to get paid doing that, then you need to put the time in in personal you know, personal projects and just going through curriculums and learning tools to learn that skill first. But you can do something like lawn mowing or shoveling driveways in the winter if you live in a winter state. And uh, that doesn't really take a whole lot of time investment before you can start getting paid. So you could look into a lot of different freelance options. And I'll make sure to put an article in the show notes that gives you ideas of other freelance positions you can do. But just be aware of this, the time involvement that it's going to be required for building the skill before you can start charging for it. Web development's awesome, but it takes a while to learn. Graphic design's awesome, but it also takes a while to get to the point where you can do really good professional work. Um, that being said, if you've got those skills, then all you need to do is learn how to do some networking and marketing, and you can use the exact same tactics we talked about earlier. You can use bulletin boards. You can use Craigslist. Now you're on the other side of the equation. You're making the post. It's telling people about the service, but you can also look for people who want to hire those kind of people. And um, you can also just utilize word of mouth connections. Several of my web development contacts came through word of mouth connections, and the coolest one was actually... Um, it came through a class that I was in actually. So I took this web development class during my junior year and it turned out that this class was essentially nothing that I didn't already know. Um, it was like a basic HTML web page structure kind of stuff. And I had been doing that since I was 13 years old. So what ended up happening was I became the tech support dude for the class. Essentially, I would get my own work done really quickly and, because I had nothing better to do. I would just go around the class and if people had questions, the teacher didn't have time to answer. I would help them out. And the cool thing is that, uh, the class ended up being in the basement of the same building where I worked as a tech support guy. So if somebody had a problem with their computer that didn't have anything to do with web development, I'd be like, all right, well, I'm going to be working 10 minutes after class ends. So just come right upstairs and I'll help you with your other computer problems. Um, but there was one girl who I ended up helping several times through the semester and near the end of the semester, she ended up telling an uncle of hers that I knew my stuff when it came to web development. So he ended up hiring me to code something for his website. And then he recommended me to somebody in Tennessee who hired me to code her website. So through helping this girl in my class, I ended up making probably around $4,000 when it was all said and done with those two jobs. So Definitely just get out there, help people with your skills, and word-of-mouth connections can help you make some money. So that's all I've got for this episode. We've gone for about 42 minutes at this point. Hopefully something in this episode has been helpful to you. If you've got questions, you can always email me at thomas at collegeinfogeek.com. And uh, your questions always help me come up with better and uh, more in-depth content in the future. So definitely, if you've got something, let me know. And I can usually work it into new content in the future. And if I have time, I can also try to answer them personally. Though my inbox is getting steadily and steadily more tough to tame. I can tell you that, but don't let that, <laughs> don't let that deter you from emailing me because I just need to get my own shit together when it comes to dealing with my inbox. So 
That's all we got. If you want to find the show notes for this episode, once again, they're at CIGpodcast.com. The episode 67 link will take you to the summary and all the links I talked about in this episode. You can also go on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen if they have a reviews section for the podcast, um, especially on iTunes. That's the big one. If you leave a rating and review telling me what you think of the podcast, positive reviews really help the show bump up in the rankings. Also subscriptions, if you haven't already subscribed, that really supports the show. But I also just want to hear your thoughts, want to hear, you know, what else you want to learn, how this show has helped you, that kind of stuff. It helps me get better. So definitely let me know how this show has helped and what I can do to improve it. Also, if you want to find resources that can make your college life easier or more efficient, those are over at collegeinfogeek.com slash resources. And there you'll find apps and uh, books. I've got a link to my essential reads list. Also, just different gear that I use as a student. So definitely check that out. And that's all I got. So until next week, stay cute and bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the College Info Geek Podcast. Grow your brain even more at www.collegeinfogeek.com.